right, well, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we're thankful uh, for your love and mercy. We're grateful for the privilege, the honor uh, of just having homes. Lord, uh, not, not physical homes, but households. We're thankful in your wisdom that you call people to be married. You call them to raise children who honor you. And those children are called to grow up and start their own homes and uh, raise children who honor you. And that just has repeated itself for generation after generation. And, Lord, that's uh, something that you command us to do. Pray give us wisdom in that today. I'm just thankful, Lord, for uh, 13 weeks of just being able to focus on parenting. Grateful for JJ and for Stephen and for John and uh, just the wisdom that they've imparted and uh, grateful for all the work was put into it. Thankful for just the uh, church that honors your word, that um, honors the home, that prioritizes uh, marriage and parenting. And we're thankful, Lord, that your word speaks clearly. And uh, Father, that you've given us a, a, an eye and an ear for your word. You've opened both. You've given us a heart, Lord, to, um, to hear from you and want to know. And Father, we know our flesh is strong as well. We pray, God, as we learn much, that you would um, cause us to, uh, to turn to you even in, in, uh, in our heart, Lord, to repent, to, to realign, to, to continue to value those things that you value, Father, even more every day. Grateful for the morning, too, in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, this is week 14 of 14. Hopefully, this has been a, uh, a profitable time for you guys. Uh, this is the time we're going to... Um, Kind of wrap up with maybe a, a broader picture of what does it look like to live life with God in the middle, and then also to um, get some questions. No doubt, there's some things along the way that have kind of piqued your interest. Maybe you're in the middle of a situation that this group can kind of talk it out with you. So, um, short of the microphone around my head here, it'll be a much more um, kind of living room type conversation at that point. So just encourage you as we do some Q&A, just speak up. If you have some opinions or thoughts or some wisdom insight, we'd appreciate you, know, uh, you sharing that. So today we're going um, to talk about living life with God in the middle and really going to um, look at two main passages. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 6, like we did, we ended last week with that. I'm going to kind of walk back through that quickly as a way of reminder. Um, and be- prior to that, we're going to hit um, Psalm 78 as a real primary primary text. So um, we'll have you turn there. We'll read it together and just sort of sort of talk it out. Um, love this quote by Spurgeon. Uh, you know, Spurgeon obviously is the pastor of pastors. He's like one of the most famous Baptist pastors and all. We love quote. He's a very quotable guy. But he says this. He says, children are not a distraction for more important work. They are the most important work. And I think it's easy for us to forget that. You know, the world isn't going to come into your home and go, Wow, look, you, you handled that situation really well. Or I'm just so thankful that you, you know, didn't take that promotion because you're valuing your children. Or, you know, on down the, ro- the road. We don't have Emmy Awards, Academy Awards for good parenting, right? We don't, we don't have bonus structures for how well you, your marriage goes and how well you do with your children. You know, the world sees it. They, they, they're quick to criticize when kids aren't, you know, doing well. Um, but they don't have a system to honor those who labor and toil so that children, children do. And it's easy even in the church sometimes. We think we hear things about you know, church planting and missions, and all those things are absolutely critical, vital. Um, and that's certainly uh, the way the Lord has set it up. But we miss some real easy things, and that is that the marriage is primary, the children, raising our children is primary. And even in the, in the world of our church, like elders shouldn't be elders if they're not raising their kids well, if they're not managing their homes well. So it isn't because that's the proving ground for something more important, i.e. being an elder. It's because it's more important. It's because it's more important that our marriages and our families um, are done well, given the attention that our children come to know Christ, than it is that we serve in some other role and have some degree of success there. Does that make sense? There is an order, and you know, I love that Spurgeon himself, who we quote often and should, just reminds us that, look, your kids aren't distracting you. No matter what you have going on, they are your focus. They are the most important, important thing. If, I, if you could, actually, we're going to do this. I want you to pause for a minute. I want you to think about what are the top ten priorities you have for your kids, Okay. You don't have to list all 10, but I want you to spend a couple of minutes. If you want to just put us some on your phone, if you're with your spouse, you can just chat about it for a second. And just 
Think of things that should be on that list. Again, you don't have to necessarily rank them here, but spend about 90 seconds and just say, okay, this, 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 this. Just think about what are the top 10 priorities you have for your kids for a second. And then I'll, I'll, uh, I'm going to look at my phone. So in about a minute and a half. About 30 more seconds. All right. I think that's a super important question. Why would it be an important thing to to define the top 10 priorities or top five priorities or top whatever number you want to pick. Why do you think that's an important activity for parents to do? Okay, great. Yeah, did you hear that? It ensures that you're on the same page with your spouse on what's important with your kids. What else? Good. Makes you reevaluate how you spend your time. Great answer. Yep. One more. It's good. So, yeah, the idea of like a budget, yeah, you've got to know what you're shooting for. You've got to know where to spend your resources, how to steward your time, your resources, other, other ways. It's great. You know, people get confused, I think, a lot in raising kids and making decisions of the family because we don't tether like you said, tether our decisions, tether, you know, all of the things we focus in on to a, a priority list of some sort. So, for example, um, education. It's probably on your top 20, 10. It may not be. But for most of us, how your children having a really good education is, is pretty high priority. But I'm guessing it's not number one. It's probably not in the top three, right? Um, and, and so when you're faced with decisions, like, say, in education... Or maybe it's, um, you know, they want to be really good in money management. Maybe that's something that's really important for you. But when that one elevates too high on the list, we make decisions circling around a priority five when one through four are in trouble. Does that make sense? So that's why as parents, sometimes we get hyper-focused on something that's really important to us, but maybe it's out of line in what's really God would spell out as important for the child in priority order. So in other words, if you had a choice between a child who is not great with money necessarily, but loves Christ, is a blessing to people, and has a vision for his, his or her own home someday doing the same, which would you rather have? Well, in this class, hopefully we all would say, oh, well, of course, I would rather than be okay at managing money, but really have a heart after Christ, you see. But we could spend a whole lot of time focused on these sort of second-tier type things and miss the big picture. I think it's important just to have that list in front of you so that when you're faced with big decisions, do we do, we do this activity or not? Well, let's look at our priority list. How's it going? Do we take this job or that? Do we go to this church or that church? Do we move to this town or stay here? Do we sell this house or do we move to another house? All those things affect that top 10 priority list for your kids. Does that make sense? And I think without that list, we just can spin in stress mode and we isolate these decisions and we can get hyper-focused and miss the forest for the trees, if that makes sense. And especially in parenting, because you're in situation after situation after situation, right? Most of parenting feels like one conversation isolated from another conversation, from mealtime to bedtime 
to, you know, this activity and logistics of just shuttling people all over the place as your kids get older. And sometimes it's easy for us to just miss the reality that we actually have a priority for our kids. We actually are taking them somewhere. We actually have as believers a mandate from Scripture to give them instruction in the discipline of the Lord. Does that make sense? And it may seem real easy in a, in a sort of a lecture, but man, in the real life, when you get in the lab, you know, beakers explode, don't they? All parents know that. We all know that in real life. But we can talk about how you mix the chemicals and how these reactions are supposed to happen, right, in parenting. But, man, when it's bedtime and that kid's cranky or it's bedtime and that mom's cranky, like, or both, right, then beakers explode. Things don't work out the way they should. And so important to kind of keep, keep perspective. Like, my, their priority isn't always to be the most restful. Like, that's not number one on my list. That's important to me. Or if you have a baby, that sleep-wake schedule, that's important. But we're headed somewhere. That we're going somewhere bigger than that they have a good sleep cycle. Bigger than that they eat the most nutritious food on the planet. You see what I'm saying? Not that that's not important. But we have bigger priorities that we have to be careful. It's easy as new parents. I remember Michelle and I read a book about babies. And we were absolutely experts at that point. Right? Um, You know, the people that know the most about parenting are the people with no children. Right? And the people who read a book who are pregnant know more than anybody. And we were in that category. And so our parents would give us advice and they would talk about this. And we're like, no, that, that kid has to go to bed right now because in 32 seconds, it's the three-hour mark. Anybody else start that way in parenting? Yeah. Isn't it terrible? But we do. And, and I understand, like, your heart is to do it right. You want to help this child. You believe philosophically that this is the way it goes. You see other kids around that you're like, man, I, I want to do better. I want to see this. You, you have a burden for them. And so we dive in. All of a sudden, the priority becomes the schedule not to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Right? The priority becomes, like, my ability to come implement something that I think is important and not walking by faith and by prayer. Does that make sense? So we have a, quali- I mean, a quantitative relationship with our kids, but the qualitative relationship suffers. We have a quantitative relationship even with the scripture, even with the books that we're reading, but we forget the qualitative part of raising kids. Does that make sense? It's different. And so the priorities, interestingly, as believers, if you did your top 10 priority list, you can't affect a lot of change in the first couple. Like you want them to know Christ. You want them to have a heart after God. Well, we can't fashion that heart. Now, we can infuse things, we can labor and toil, and we're called to do that and move them that direction. You know what I mean? We continue to introduce them to the word and those means of grace that God has given our kids to change. But in the end, it's a walk by faith, and it's a tiresome walk by faith. You know what I mean? It's a prayerful walk by faith. But we can affect things, priorities four through ten. You know, we can, we can help them understand money management. We can help them get a good education. We can help them, you know, have a good work ethic and all these things that are really important. And sometimes those are a little bit easier to focus in on and get in the minutia of and forget the grander things that we're supposed to point them to. Does that make sense? We can't, we forget to have them to look their eyes to the hills where their help comes from. Instead, you know, their eyes are on, on the moment. And that's hard for us to do, isn't it? In any part of life, but especially parenting, you know. Because mealtimes come around really fast, right? And the next activities come around really fast or the next, you know, big moment for them. Um, so top ten, I think it's an important thing for you to consider as you're making decisions for your kids. A couple of reminders from last week and then um, we're gonna, we'll dive into Psalm 78. Last week we talked about this battle raging. So you guys that were here, just... You know, I, I told you about some of the toys that are out there now that Michelle gets this email, an educational email about RuPaul, the drag queen doll that Mattel has put out, or Fisher-Price, Little People has put out. And um, I, I looked at the picture she, Michelle took at Barnes & Noble here in Fayetteville, 60 books out of 60, and they're all things that, that a believer can't, can't endorse. Um, you know, our kids are in a battle. You know, the, now it's not only just... You know, maybe a, a YouTube video that they follow or whatever. It's retail, it's entertainment, it's all the institutions. If you read Psalm 2, we know that all the kings of earth unite against the Lord and his anointed. So we're not surprised. And it's not the worst time in the history of the world where kids are being, you know, fed lies. It, we're just in the battle. We can't, we can't forget it. Uh, 
you know, you, the United States is becoming post-Christian, has become post-Christian. We can't even say it's becoming. You know, we're not in a society that endorses anything that we would espouse. So you're becoming more of a minority every minute the clock ticks. And your kids are becoming more of the minority, and they're losing more friends, and they're having to stand in a much more difficult situation than we did as when we were their age. Um, and so they need their parents. That's God's means of grace. It's not, I'm not going to say that to scare you, but just let's thank the Lord that he's giving your kids you and my kids me so that they do have a direction in, the, in this fight, in this journey. Um, one quote I liked said, uh, children are like wet cement. Whatever falls on them makes an impression. You know, it's, it's good to think about that. As I told you last week that everybody that interacts with your kids in a structured sort of way has an agenda for them. They want to change them in some way. We have that as a church. The school has that. The library has that. The sports program has that. All of them want to shape them. And more and more there's becoming a, a, a wider you know, gap between biblical ideas and unbiblical ideas, if that makes sense. Um, and so we just have to be aware of that. It doesn't mean we hide our kids. It just means we have to continue to shepherd. We have to continue to lean in and have meaningful conversations around important things. Um, your kids have a worldview, right? We talked about it's just like a, a glasses you put on. If they're uh, blue tint, everything they see is blue. And um, we just have to make sure that that's a biblical lens. We just have to make sure that they understand um, that the fact that God exists and created them in his image and has a purpose for life means everything. And it influences every thought they should have and every thought you should have for them. The world around them is a world that wants to deconstruct all ideas and let them make their own way. I was listening to our Lydia, a six-year-old, like three or four times yesterday, she says, um, where there's a wish, there's a way. It comes off of some cartoon that she watched. I'm like, well, I know, it's where there's a will, there's a way. You see that worldview shift? We go from where there's a will. If you work hard and you, you set your goals and you sacrifice and you labor and toil, you can make it happen. And we know that's somewhat true, right? There is a, we can fall short. We can't do that in things of faith. But now it's this new generation where there's a wish, there's a way. So there's not even a work ethic anymore. There's not even a need to attempt. You just have to believe. You know, that's just existentialism just raising its flag, you got to believe who you are on the inside, and that's good. If you wish you were this way, that's good enough. If you wish this were the case, that's, it's good enough. So it's happening in real subtle, subtle ways. Um, all right. Today I want to talk about multi-generational faithfulness for a little while. I think it's an appropriate way to think about living life with God in the middle, is having a vision of multi-generations of faithfulness. Believe it or not, God didn't call you to marriage and having children just for your marriage and just for your kids. God has a multi-generational vision for how families raise worshipers of Christ. You know, we talked about this when I taught last two times ago, but in Malachi, it says, you know, why did God put, a, put them together? Why did God put a spirit in your union as a, as a married couple? And it says, what does that one God seek? The question mark, the answer is godly offspring, Right? So Malachi reminds us that the reason or one of the primary reasons that you were brought in marriage or will be brought in marriage if you're single is to produce godly children. Now, we know God doesn't give everyone children. We understand that. It's not that God says, ha, you know, I'm going to punish you. But the, the normative, the normative uh, cadence of a Christian is to marry another Christian, have children, raise them in Christ, to have children who raise them in Christ. Okay, that's what God has done from the beginning. As a matter of fact, the nation of Israel is a family. Israel was a person. We forget that, I think, sometimes. We, th we see them as a geopolitical group. But Israel was a person who had children and had grandchildren, had lots of great-grandchildren and tons of great-great-grandchildren, and that was who God called, right, to follow after him. And so that's been his plan. If you read about Abraham, it says, why did he call Abraham? Because he knew he would instruct his children his children's children. What does God tell Moses to do with the law as soon as he gets it? Tell their, your children and children children. And we'll talk about that in Deuteronomy 6 in a minute, right? So that has been God's plan from the beginning. Before there was a church, there were families. There were parents first. There were children second. And then grandchildren. Then great-grandchildren. And eventually God called those to, to form a nation, his people, 
the children of Israel, literally the children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren of Israel. And then over time, that family became a church family. And families, independent families, began to click together, and God called us together as his children, the priesthood collectively, but families together. Does that make sense? So when we gather on Sunday, we're gathering as covenantal homes who've pledged covenantally together to be a church, to follow Christ as a unit. But we can't forget that that's made up of these pieces that was God's plan, you know, from the beginning. Turn to Psalm 78, and let's just, uh, we'll walk through this one together. Psalm 78. I would, it's long, I think it's 70-something verses, certainly challenge you just to read it. Um, really the first, um, the first eight verses set the psalm up, and then we see examples of what he's talking about after, from verses 9 through 70, I think it's 72. Um, it's just example after example. All right. 78 verse 1, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. So Asaph um, was a singer and, and wrote this and says, Look, I want you to listen. I have some teaching here. Well, what teaching is it? Well, he tells us, first of all, what we're to do with the teaching, and then he gives us the teaching. Okay, what do we see? He says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of, of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. So let's pause right there. What is he teaching them? What's he going to tell them? Verse 2. Yeah, sayings of old, dark sayings of old. What do you think he means there? It's a weird way to say it. We, read, we sing a song, I think Michael W. Smith, you know, ancient words or ancient, is that what it is, ancient words? I mean, the idea here is that God has given something from the beginning, and I'm going to tell you these ancient thoughts. I'm going to pass on to you these foundational truths, the big truths about what God has said from the very beginning, who he is, right? I'm revealing something that predates me and predates the world, okay? These are these are deep sayings. So it's, it's really God's law, God's character, God's nature, the fact that he created the world, and so on. And he says this, he says, uh, or where did he hear them? Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. So where did he learn these dark sayings? He didn't come up with them. He's not sitting there, you know, this sort of Jesus calling type phenomenon where he's just writing out things and saying this is from God. No, he's, he's getting this somewhere. So Asaph was taught, they were taught by their fathers. And I'm going to repeat to you what they said. We will, verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. We will tell them to their children, we will tell them to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So how does he intend to see this message passed? It's obvious, right? Right? So he's going to take this message that he's learned from his fathers, and that's plural, father, grandfather, great-grandfather, back to the beginning of time, and I'm going to pass these on to your children, and then what's going to happen? They're going to pass them on. right? We're not going to hide them from the children, but what are we going to tell them about? Look at the end of verse 4. We're going to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. The glorious deeds. So he's going to teach him about this one called the Lord. He's going to tell him stories about the faithfulness of this one, the Lord. And he's going to talk about all of the wonders he's done. Right? And so you see this, this plan. He says, look, I learned these things. I'm going to pass them to you. You're going to pass them on to the kid, your kids. You're going to teach them what? All about God. All about how good he is. All about the wonders and the faithfulness of God. Do you guys have, you have stories like that in your own life? You have stories in your life where God has just been crazy faithful. Like 
manifest himself in such a way that as much as you want to be a skeptic, you just can't deny it. Man, your kids need to hear those stories. Your kids need to hear. They, they, you know, Revelation talks about, in the end, they overcome by the word of their testimony, right? There's a word. Now, that's a testimony of God, testimony of Christ, their faithfulness. But there's something about proclamation of testimonies of God that are powerful, right? Do you have stories in your life like that? Are you telling those to your kids? Are there legendary stories like your kids talk about? Oh, remember that? Tell that time, Mom, when this happened. Dad, tell that story about when you were 15 and you were praying. Tell that story about, you know, that time when you guys met and the Lord just spoke that thing in your life. Or when you, you say you were in the Word, you memorized that passage, and the very next day you had to share that. That's awesome. Does that make sense? Like you want those stories coming from your home. You want these legendary things where God is just putting himself on display. And the main source of those is this scripture right here, right? It's great to have your own. You need to tell those because it personalizes it for your kids in your own life, and it puts God on display but more than anything, we have to lift up the text. And that's what he tells in, in a min, minute. He's going to tell the story of you know, the children of Israel leaving Egypt and what it was like and what they did with, with this great news of God's faithfulness. Look at, let's look at verses five, uh, 5 and 6. It says, He established a testimony, he being God, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. So he gave them the law, okay, the testimony, the law. He commanded our fathers, so his grandparents, great-grandparents, whatever, to teach their children that the next generation might know them. Okay, so what are we, why was he teaching those children? For their sake, for one, but also there's a command. They, he taught them so they would teach their children, okay? And then he says, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to whom? Their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. So there's this powerful thing that's happening here, you see, that parents teach kids, remind them of God's works and wonders. They raise those kids so that they'll teach their children. So you're not just teaching your kids so they understand it. You're giving your kids an understanding so that they are going to impart it to your grandchildren. You understand, like, like we want to see our grandchildren and great-grandchildren walk with Christ. You know, Michelle and I, when we first got married and first had a child, you know, we had this dream that our 50th wedding anniversary, we would look around the room full of children and wouldn't know anybody over a certain age, you know, 12 or 15 or whatever, that didn't know Jesus. That's all I care about at that point. I can have a mediocre career, we can be somewhat poor, we can have all these things, the world could not even know our name, we could die without a headstone, none of that matters. If on our 50th wedding anniversary, we can look and we see children, grandchildren, maybe a couple of great grandkids or whatever who love Jesus. If you have that vision, you parent differently. It's not about getting through mealtime, right? It's not about like hoping your kids marry the right person. You know, I met with... Um, I met with several potential son-in-laws lately. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're, we're three weddings in six months in my house, all three girls. So I've been meeting with a lot of young men, three young men a lot of times. How about that? Um, and, you know, I told them all, look, God has called me to raise up multi-generations the best I can by, for his glory, you know what I mean, of children. And my hope is that my, my grandkids and my great-grandkids know Christ, and you're standing in the way of that. Or you're an asset that way. Like, I'm not looking at this like, do you like her and does she like you? That's a part of it. Of course you want that. But are you committed to raising my grandchildren in the fear and admonition of the Lord? If you're not, you probably need to take a hike. You understand? Because that's what our goal is. Yes, I want them to have an amazing marriage. But if they're not aligned on raising kids in Christ, there's something wrong in the marriage. So you're, we're getting down the road. And so there's this vision that we should have that we're not just getting through mealtime. We're helping our children so they can raise our grandkids and great-grandkids for the glory of God. And that's a life worth living. That's a life worth spending your, your energy on. That's, it's okay to be unknown in the world if you accomplish something like that. Now, we recognize only God can change the heart. But we have commands to continue to disciple and help them flourish in that direction. Does that make sense? It's a different way to think about our mission as parents and living our life with God in the middle, not just, again, for what's immediate, but to say, look, I'm going to be, by God's grace, I may be old and gray and tired more than I am right now someday, 
But I, if I can hold a grandchild or a great-grandchild who can tell me about Christ and who's memorized the scripture, amen, hallelujah. And that's what this is about. So you have five generations here in verses 5 and 6, not including what it means that we learned it from our fathers, plural, how many generations it took to get to this point. Does that make sense? So that's the hope. Seven and eight, the hope is this, that they would set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and they should be like their fathers, oh, yeah, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So that's our hope, right? That they would know God and not be stubborn like their grandparents were, or like you and I can be at times. Right? That's his hope, is that they would know the work of God, they would understand and obey his law, and they wouldn't harden their heart and be stubborn like the, their fathers. Now, for you guys that don't come from a legacy of faith, you have an amazing calling. It's hard to be the first generation to drive a stake in the ground and say, my, my last name now means this. Right? The Smith family is a family who walks with Christ. doesn't matter what it used to mean, but it means something different now. Does that make sense? To be a rose means to follow Jesus. doesn't matter what the legacy of faith was before that or how difficult it is. And oftentimes we as parents in that role have to be a, um, a barrier between our parents and our kids. It's hard. Sometimes it's because there's a lot of aggression there or just a pagan thinking and all that we have to protect them from. Sometimes it's even worse. Sometimes it's just because they just have an influence in a direction that we don't really think lines up exactly with Scripture. And guess what? Our kids will have a little bit of that with us as well, right? We're, they're called to raise their kids. But if you don't come from a, a legacy of faith, let me just encourage you to hang in there. Let me encourage you. It's right to draw that line and have some hard conversations at times, make some hard decisions at times, because someday, someday, you'll be, by God's grace, if the Lord tarries and keeps you healthy, you'll be the oldest member of your, your household and be able to look back in your whole legacy. The whole legacy and trajectory of your home will have changed. Does that make sense? Now, that's obviously up to the Lord to change those hearts. But it's difficult sometimes to start that way. Um, and there's a gracious, kind way to honor your parents, absolutely. Be, be kind, be respectful, use great wisdom, but it can be difficult. And there's some of you in the room could probably speak to that uh, for, for others as well. So, um, so look what happens in verse 9. Here's an example. I'll just read the first one, three, just three verses here. The, um, the Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders he had shown them. So here's our example. The Ephraimites, okay, we're talking about one of Israel's sons. And the day of battle, it said that they had a bow, but they turned and they didn't keep God's covenant. Now, interestingly, this historical account we can't find in the Bible anywhere. There's not an easy way to say, oh, well, that's the battle of this. Let's turn there. Um, I think what I've read in the commentaries, it seems like most people believe that is more of an illustration than a literal thing. Because it says that it wasn't that they, they ran in fear and didn't fight the enemy. No, they didn't keep his covenant. Right? Like God provided everything that they needed, and yet they, they dishonored him. They forgot his good works, it says. They forgot the works of the Lord um, to keep his commandment. Okay? Does that make sense? So, and what's interesting, too, is Joshua was, was from the tribe of Ephraim. So it wasn't like they didn't have a prime example. It doesn't like that what, at one point, you know, the, the chief leader of the whole nation wasn't one of their own. So these are the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of Joshua himself turning away because they forget the deeds of God. Well, how are they supposed to remember the deeds of God? Their parents, their grandparents were supposed to pass those on so they forgot how because they weren't reminded and they lived, lived like they had never happened. All right, any questions on just the idea of multi-generational faithfulness and just having that vision for, for more? Is that helpful in your parenting to start thinking about your multi-generations? So sometimes it's hard 
when you're in the minutia. It is for us. Um, the next section here, just cultivating a biblical worldview. I'm not going to go through this again, uh, just sort of time, because I want us to get some, some Q&A. But I wanted to put it on there and just let you see yet again from Deuteronomy 6. You just see it played out. There was a law. How are we supposed to pass the law? Well, first of all, the parents have to get it. It has to be on our hearts. Second of all, we pass it on with words. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you lie down, when you rise up, all that. You remember that? We talked about that last week. Read Deuteronomy 6 if you can't remember. Um, but we talk about them, it says, constantly. Words should be going from a parent to a child a lot more than a child from a parent at times. You know what I mean? Like, our words have to be more meaningful. Now, look, our six-year-old could out-talk any kid in this room, I guarantee you, just a chatterbox. If you've had her in class, you know what I'm talking about. And when Michelle and I were talking yesterday, it's sometimes you just don't even hear. You know, it's just like, oh, wait, did you just say that eight times? One more time. I'll get it this time, you know. Um, so it's not the quantity, but it's the quality of words. Like our words going to them are really important, okay? So there's a lot of talking that has to go, uh, which means you got to capture those moments where your kids are quiet and they're listening. Meal times, bed times, you know, those key moments where they're sitting, okay, this is mama's time to talk. This is daddy's time to talk. I want you to hear this is really important. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, you do it consistently. It says when you sit at your house, you walk, when you lie down. Um, and then really you got to be in a community of people who think the same way as much as you can. Just that wet cement thing, right? Um, you know, the kids are like wet cement, anything that falls upon them and leaves an impression, right? You want to be around people who reinforce that. So just a quick reminder. I think it's a, if you want to see a... Like a, how does it play out? The Deuteronomy 6 passage just shows us what Psalm 78 says as well, right? It's easy to forget these things, so parents have to continue constantly to pour these things, to live life with God in the middle, which means we have to believe in ourselves and we have to continue to stay focused. All right, we're going to do uh, some talk together here. We're just going to throw out, I'm going to throw out some Proverbs are on your notes, and I want us to talk about practical implications of what this looks like in parenting. Okay, so this is where we're going to get in the weeds a little bit uh, and hear, hear from you guys some more. Um, you know, we need wisdom. James 1 says if we ask for wisdom, God gives us without finding fault, right? Like we, he promises to deliver that wisdom. God's goal for your kid's life is the same thing we just talked about. You're not asking God for something ancillary. You don't have to doubt it. Like sometimes you're like, well, Lord, I really want this job or would you help me find my keys or whatever, you know, <laughs> in real life. And you're wondering, well, maybe God doesn't want me to find my keys, or maybe this isn't God's will. But when you're asking the Lord for the hearts of your children and to have success in parenting so that they would know his glory, you can 1,000% rest assured that you're praying God's will. Okay? And then in wisdom, the Proverbs is going to be a great source of wisdom for you to understand in principle the kind of things that help your kids grow or the kind of things we should be a part of. So I've got five Proverbs here. Uh, the first one is 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So let's think about that practically. What does that say about parenting to you? What can we gain wisdom-wise there? Okay. Yeah, if you want them to go forward and not depart, you have to train them. That's, that's, the, that's the point. Like That's one of the points, I think. You have to train, then they're the normative, it's not always, so this is not a promise, it's important to say that in the book of Proverbs. You don't read all these Proverbs as a guaranteed proverb, you know, promise. Proverbs are Proverbs. They're saying typically this is the way it works out. This is typically what wise, that what it is to be with. So yes, children are trained extremely well and rebel, absolutely. You know, we've been trained well, many of us, and we rebel. There are kids who absolutely will never come back to Christ, and they had parents who just labored and toiled in this. But normatively, this is what happens. And if you don't train them, you can't for sure claim the other side, right? So it's not an excuse not to train. I've heard this verse, oh, that's the most overused verse. Okay, maybe, but it still calls us to train our kids. So, so yes, so training is required if you want to see your kids not depart from that um, at least that's our, our goal as parents, our mandate. What else? Yeah, 
Good. Yeah, super good. The quality of what you train them, what you're talking to them. You can train them in all kinds of things, but yeah, the, the caliber of what you train them. If you give them kind of Christian platitudes all the time that don't hold. You know, we talked about this in a previous session, but suffering is one of those times we all kind of have to grab a hold of the biggest doctrine we can think of, like God's real and he loves me. That's all I can hang on to right now. And so we have to give our kids those foundational things so that when they face the waves of doctrine, they can hang on. You know, Spurgeon says, you know, we should never curse the wave that throws us upon the rock of ages. Right? Our kids need to understand. They need to watch that in our lives. You know, yeah, this was hard, but God's good. We know him better now. We trust him more. Yeah, so there's training that has to happen. There's wisdom. You can't complain about your kids in their behavior if you've not trained them. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not good. You can't complain about their lack of understanding the Bible, their lack of understanding how to obey you, to manage money, to whatever you want to say if we haven't trained them to that regard. So I think practically as a parent, ask yourself, this is a really frustrating moment with this child. Have I trained them so that they have no excuse? Is this foolishness or childishness here? Is it my fault in a sense that they don't understand these things or have I clearly explained it and they're just being a knucklehead right now? You parent differently in those moments. But I think this is important to say, Wait, my job is to train and instruct. Their job is to obey. Have I done my part well? One comes before the other. Does that make sense? So just real practical. Um, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So what do you hear there? Anybody been guilty of answering a fool according to their folly and being like them. It's hard as a parent not to do that, isn't it? It's just tough. You know, when your kid says something and you're like, that's ridiculous, and you say something back and then they say something and all of a sudden you've got a nine-year-old and you're going back and forth with and you're like, what, what am I doing? I'm not nine. I feel nine all of a sudden. You know, I'm in there and then you're, you're like, well, I'm tired of hearing my own voice, right? I get myself down the road and it's like, how did I take this exit ramp? How did I get drawn into like a debate with a nine-year-old on something where they're just not being nice to their sibling? This is really kind of simple kindergarten level stuff here. But, but the folly of the child oftentimes draws out the folly of the parent. Anybody else besides me experience that one? That would help me if you guys said yes. Then I know. <laughs> Thank you. But that's super easy. But I think it's a great proverb to just remind us. Don't answer them according to their folly lest you be like him right? There's that, that moment of just pause. Okay, what's, my, what's the wise response here? How do I not play the fool here? You know, the reality is, number one, I'm the parent. Number two, I saw something that I believe doesn't honor the Lord, doesn't honor our family rules, doesn't honor me or your father or your mother, whatever, is not a blessing to your siblings, doesn't treat your property the way it should be treated, et cetera, et cetera. And I just have the right to make a decision. And by the way, this is the decision. See ya. And that's so much different than when we get drawn in. And some kids will just comply, and some kids are just masters at drawing you in. They're just great at it. It's just their ability to defer or to deflect, I guess, the punishment, right? So you have kids that are just like, well, but yesterday you said it this way. And all of a sudden you're now answering a child according to their folly. You know, does that make sense? Well, when you say that stuff, it makes me feel this way. It's like, okay, we'll deal with that later. But right now, you're going to sit in your room for the next 15 minutes because. And then maybe tomorrow we can address this, how you, you felt the last time I said it. Does that make sense? So just a great proverb, I thought, that, um, that it applies. But he also says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So then you address him as a, a foolish one. Does that make sense? So you don't match folly for folly, but you call it out and you help them understand they're not wise in their own eyes. And you go through stages that kind of for us, it seems like that sort of 9, 10 to about 13 is when they begin to really wrestle with, are they wise in their own eyes? Are they smarter than you? Are they wiser than you? And so those are times for us, you want to have that conversation when they're nine and say, listen, what I've learned as a parent, the next three years probably you're going to be really tempted to think you know better than we do. And let's just make sure in three years from now, we've made it through this really well. When you have that internal temptation that says, well, you just don't understand. We do, actually. 
You just have to trust that we do. And when we don't fully understand, trust that God's means of grace in your life is for us to parent you anyway, the best we know how. And so then you're able to remind them, hey, this is one of those moments. I know I can tell you're getting worked up. You're frustrated. You think that we don't understand. Remember, we had this conversation a year ago. And you just continually bring that up. This is a phase you're going through. It's part of growing up. It's part of being a man. It's part of growing up to a young woman. And I, I like it in that God's doing something in you. But it's, it's, you're dealing with new temptations you've never felt before. Let's walk through this really well together. Does that make sense? Get ahead of those stages. When they start walking in the teenage years, hey, you're going to start feeling like we're stifling your independence. Hey, you're, you're 15, 16. You're going to feel like we're treating you like a kid when you see yourself as an adult. You need, like, can we agree right now that you're not quite ready to be an independent adult? It's probably going to take three or four more years. Yeah, we agree now. So when we feel this way together, and I'm going to get real frustrated with you in, in my heart if I'm not careful. So can we just agree that through this stage we're going to talk this out? Yep. So then you can say, remember that conversation we had six months ago? We're there. You know what? I understand you feel like you're ready for more independence. I want to ask God for wisdom how to release you for that. But until you're self-controlled, we have to control you. Until you're self-disciplined, we have to discipline you. So let me help you grow in self-discipline. Let me help you grow. Does that make sense? So that's that not, the answering a fool according to their folly. Getting ahead, to me that's a huge thing in parenting is getting ahead of those stages so that conversation can be a different conversation. Because oftentimes it's an argument with the child, then the two spouses get together and talk it out. This is what they're going through, and the child is not involved in understanding that's what they're going through. Does that make sense? And once they hit the stage, they're less likely to understand and believe you that that's what's going on, if that makes sense. Um, all right, Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Anybody ever experienced that one as a parent? Yeah? What's a, what's a practical implication of that that you would see? Yeah. Make sure they understand your values. Make sure they can articulate your values. Make sure they're embracing them, honoring them. Those things are perfect. I think there's a, um, a timeline order here that we found. Make sure they understand first, then give them the freedom to express their opinion. Then it's not a back and forth. Does that make sense? Like, okay, here's, here's what we decided. Well, I think it would be better to do this. Or here, look, this is what I see in your life, right? These are some things we need to address. And then, yeah, but what about this? Or what about, like, hang on a minute. Let's just, let's just sit on what mom and I have, what, what we say first. I want to make sure you understand. We'll talk about whether you agree or not in a minute. We can talk about whether you think our application is right or wrong, what's in your heart. But for now, can you just articulate back to me, do you understand what, what we said? What, what you said is you think I've become more selfish with my things. I'm not as nice to my siblings as I have been in the past. And, you know, Whatever, and I'm causing most of the problems in this relationship. I, whatever it is, okay. Now, what you, you know, if you can get them to articulate that back with some sense of calmness, your conversation from that point on is radically different than if it's just opinion, my opinion. Because we can feel like if we get equal talk time, that our opinions are equal, but they're not equal. Your child's opinion of the situation is not as good as your opinion of the situation. Does that make sense? You're older. You've been through a lot more. And God's given you as a means of grace. There was a time I remember it was a, a guy that was a, a, um, was a nuclear scientist or something. But he was given a lecture at a university. And um, a student came up, stood up, and was asking him things. And, and, uh, and so the professor, who has a Ph.D. and years of all this research, said, well, let me ask you this question. How did this happen? And the guy said something about crazy. He goes, I don't know. I guess your opinion is as good as mine, I guess. And he goes, no, actually, my opinion is a lot better than yours. And that's true, isn't it? You know, I mean, obviously, you know, as a parent, it's the same way. Like the child's opinion of the situation is not equal to the parents. They may actually be right at times. I'm not saying they're always wrong. But the reality is we don't sit as equals in that conversation. Um, so if you can help them under, uh, understand, then you can have a conversation about what you said, not what they said, if that makes sense. So I think there's a good order here. Just wisdom from Proverbs. 17.1, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better to leave 
better to raise your kids with meagerness and peace than to give them everything that they want and it just causes more strife in the house, right? In other words, there's a priority. It would actually be better for you to say no to everything if you're, and yet get peace than to say yes to everything and, and have strife. So we've actually practiced this before at mealtime. Literally like, look, you guys, that's it. Like, all right, you, you're eating bread, you're gonna eat a piece of toast, you're eating a piece of toast, and then we might intentionally like put a couple extra like a nicer meal on the table that night. So we've done that before. Not, that's not normal. We don't do that all the time, of course. But there, it's, the point is really clear. And then we read this, the, pro, the proverb. Look, it's better for you to eat a piece of toast and get along with your sibling than it is for you to have the salmon and sweet potatoes and, 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 and on this meal. And it, you talk about getting somebody's attention pretty quick. you know. And not in a mean way. We're not down, you know, it's like, okay, hey, look, this Bible says this. So, you know, if you guys have, chosen to have strife again, then we're just going to apply the scriptures and we smile and go on and have a nice meal. And, and they, the lesson's pretty clear. So, so the idea is in general that it's better for them to have less and get along and have peace in your home and even between you and your child than it is to have a lots of things on your schedule, a lots of things in the bedroom, a lot of clothes in the closet, a lot of activities and all that stuff. And it just continues to cause more and more strife. So practical, if you see strife in your home, you may need to shut a lot of things down until you have peace. You may have to take phones and schedules and car keys and toys for toddlers or whatever it is and even nice food until we just learn to really just get along and then we can start adding those things back. Does that make sense? Just, just practical stuff. 15.1 um, says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I think that goes both directions. That's the parent needs to learn soft words and the child needs to learn soft words. So it's just, you know, a, a, a harsh word is a match in a room full of gasoline. It's just always going to go that way, whether it comes from a parent or from a child. And so certainly if it comes from the child, the parent has to be self-disciplined enough to say, you know what? I think I'm getting frustrated here. You're going to sit here for 15 minutes and I'll be back. They don't have to know you're going to gather your, yourself. But better to do that than to stir up anger, right? Whether it's you to them or them to you, but especially if you start losing it. And we all get there. We all feel it. To say, you know what? You're going to sit here. You can't say a word. I'm not even going to be in the room. I'm not going to be in earshot. I'm going to go. And you may need to go take a walk around the house and then come back in and go, okay, here's what we're going to do. Does that make sense? Because, man, that, it's easy to stir up more of that. All right, that's all I have. Um, we got about 10 minutes or so. I wish that we you know, even had more, but um, there's just so much stuff. I want to answer a couple of questions if you have them, and then um, just wrap up with uh, a couple thoughts to kind of end the class. I can ask you questions if you don't ask me questions. May not be a question, maybe just a word of encouragement, like, hey, this class is, this is an area I was challenged in, and, you know, I can certainly pass that on to some of the other guys as well, you know, or just, just as a word of, like, this is what I'm going to apply. And that, that's what I would challenge you, and I think I put that in the practicals. Maybe I didn't, but, like, what's one thing from this whole class you can just immediately apply and just say, okay, that's, that was worth 14 weeks, just this one, one you know, application, but... Right. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, so question, yeah, how do you balance just the weight of it and the responsibility of it and recognizing that we do serve a sovereign God that can, you know, is the only one that can change the heart. And I think, you know, um, every bit of life is by faith. You know, that's what pleases the Lord. So even 
even you can have the most rock star moment as a parent and the next day your kids don't remember the conversation, right? And then sometimes you feel like you're just barely surviving and you just have that moment where you see something change in your child's life. You're like, praise the Lord. You know, we were really busy. We have a kids moving, um, married kids and their kids moving today to Stillwater, Oklahoma, and Michelle and I were keeping their kids, and, you know, they wanted to do this picnic for Nani and all this stuff. So the kitchen was a disaster, and then we had to get them back. So anyway, we came home, and I was like, I'm so tired. We've got a kitchen full of their little project dishes and stuff. And, and um, anyway, uh, kids are put to bed of our own. It's like 10 o'clock, and we're just we're wasted. And I walk in the kitchen, and it's the dishwasher's running, and it's loaded, and like the kitchen looks good, and the living room had been cleaned, and I'm like, "What happened?" Like some somebody broke into our house and cleaned our kitchen because that's not, you know, because I didn't think our boys were even home. Well, two of our boys, you know, Silas and Judah, had been dropped off by their older brother and walked in and saw the kitchen a disaster and did all the dishes, cleaned the living room, had it running, and I was just like, "I get no credit for that." Thank you, Lord. What a gift. Now, who knows, tomorrow they may leave their own dish on the counter and all that. So I'm not, you know what I mean? But just those moments where you're like, okay, this is the Lord. Their heart is changing. Like nobody walks in. Like, like there's a, somebody famously said, I think it was P.J. O'Rourke, that famously said, everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to help mom with the dishes. Right? Like that's heart change. So you just celebrate it. You just go, okay, Lord, you're good. And then times when we think we're just knocking out of the park, it's like, you just don't, you know, it's like a deaf ear sometimes. And so I think it's that, that walk by faith and really not assuming the burden that you are changing their heart. We can take upon our, our shoulders what only can fall on the cross, and that's real easy to do. Um, I think, you know, there was a point even in this parenting book that I told you we read when they are babies, like if we don't get the sleep schedule right, they're going to end up in San Quentin prison someday. Like you can feel that way as a parent, right, especially new, new parents. You know, um, and so, yeah, I think the balance is just a walk of faith. And you don't have a choice. Like, we have to be faithful. But the good news is you got 20 years to shape them. You're not going to make a perfect decision in all of those. You know, in, in baseball, if you have a 500 batting average, you're probably the top hitter in all the game. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, so we're just, we're just pressing on by faith, continuing to just one conversation out of the other. Do you have something to add to that, Michelle? That's really good. Yeah, really good. Yeah, just that idea that, um, I mean, it's not, it's, it's moment by moment. Like, we only get the present tense. That's all we're guaranteed. And we're not even guaranteed that it's going to last more than a microsecond anyway. You can't change the past. You can't affect the future, really. But, you know, so how are you dealing with this moment, with this child in this situation? Are you pointing him to the Lord? And that, that lines up a bulk of pointing him to the Lord. Does that make sense? Like you just keep adding rocks in the right bucket, and eventually that bucket's pretty full. That doesn't guarantee they're going to follow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. It's good. Yeah. 
yeah, so, yeah, just noting the idea that consistency matters. Like, you know, it's not one mess up or one, you know, uh, great conversation that, that moves the ship. You know what I mean? It's just micro adjustments continuously, if, the, if that makes sense. Dan? Yeah. Sure. Yes, Dan's asking, like, what is a, what's a metric to say, looking back, you're a successful parent. I mean, to me, it's faithfulness, right? Did you abdicate your role as a parent or not, right? Did you lean in? Did you take it seriously? Did you do it perfectly? That's impossible, you know, but did you just wake up one day and say, I'm done with these kids, did you wake up one day and say, like, nothing about the Lord matters? Did you, we all can look back and, and give ourselves a D minus in, in every category. The Lord's kind and gracious to make up the lack, right? But to me, faithful or successful parenting is a parent who's faithfully praying and just teaching and training the best they know how and realigning their life the best they know how throughout the deal and leaving the Lord to do what the Lord, the Lord does. So, so it's really more about the lack of abdication and, faith, and being faithful to me than necessarily, well, the child looks this way, right, later down, down the road. Because we talk about Psalm 78. These are the children of Abraham. <laughs> you know, these are children of Joshua that they call. These aren't like people that don't have parents of faith. We still look to their parents as an example and a reminder of God's goodness. Does that make sense? So I, I don't know if that helps, Dan, a lot. And... and departing from it, like even if you have rebellious older children, they're still dealing with the gospel truth because of your influence on their life as a parent, because of your training. They still can't run from God fully because you're in their life. Does that make sense? So it's not like, you know what I mean, that influence didn't happen. It's not like that they're now in some dark cave and unless they completely walk away from their home and break all contact with you. So we still have this, even in adult life, even there's still hope, you know, that we can have that, that role. A couple quick thoughts. Um, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. I'm just going to read it as our kind of last passage and then a couple of practicals, and then we'll, we'll close out. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So these are themes that we heard throughout. Just want to highlight really quick. This command is to your children, the first command. Your kids have a command from Scripture. It's to obey you. When you're making them, when you're parenting them, when you're setting up your home that they have to obey their parents, you're helping them obey Scripture. Like there's a lot of Scriptures we want them to obey, but at a minimum, your kids directly are called out here, children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So you want to know what priority ought to be on the list. If they want to obey Scripture, they have to obey. It doesn't say if they make the right decision, if they're doing it in the perfect way, if they never make a mistake. No, they just have to learn to obey and trust and submit to authority from a a God-honoring, kind, benevolent parent. But you have to help them obey Scripture and help them obey you. So they're called to do that, okay? And it says it's right, it's good. And God gets to determine what is good and right. And he did. It's good and right for kids to obey their parents. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. So God gets to determine what does it mean to go well for your kids. If God gets so, In God's estimation, what goes well with them is after they've honored and obeyed their parents. Okay? So when we're parenting, we're helping our children Obey God. They obey the Scripture. We're teaching them to obey the Scriptures by obeying us. We're not creating some, like, pragmatic structure here that obeying is just a good best practice of parenting. No, we're actually holding them accountable to the Word of God. And we're, we're infusing that in them so that they trust the Word in other areas as well. You know, sweetheart, I understand the Bible says you to obey your parents. And so we're helping you do that. No, the, the Bible says you're to honor your mother and father. And when you said that, that wasn't honoring your mother. And so we're going to help you obey the scriptures, you see. That infuses the multi-generation. That they can lean on God's word and his trustfulness, trustworthiness in that. And then it tells us how to do that. Don't provoke your children to anger. That's the negative one. But bring them up in discipline and instruction. And again, we've got hopefully 20 years to do that. The discipline and give them discipline and instruction. A couple practical things wrapping up the class. 
Number one, I just put pray. Just pray. Like, just, just pray for him. Pray for him as you walk and as you lie down, as you rise. And you may not have like a, a super formal way to pray, but pray. Pray as you walk in the room when you know you're about to discipline. Pray as you hear the noise and you're like, oh, man, I got to deal with this. Pray as you sit down and, and eat. Pray as you're about to, you know, put him to bed. Pray as you're about to read the scriptures. You know, pray, pray, just pray. Um, two, realign your realized or your lived out priorities with what you said earlier or your stated priorities. It's going to be not easy. You may have to say no to some things. You may have to walk away from some things. <clears throat> and make sure your kids understand what your priorities are as they get older. My son Mike is 16, and recently I sat down with him and I said, Son, I want, to give, I want you to give yourself a letter grade, A through F, in the following categories. Because I'm just curious kind of what, how you're doing right now. And you're older. You don't need me to look into your life on every area and, and you know, whatever. So, so come back in a couple of days. And I just want to hear, like, your spiritual life and your academic life and all these things. And it was a really fruitful conversation for him to go, I think I'm doing, like, a C-plus in this one. Oh, let's talk about that. Why do you see this in your life? I didn't know you were a C-plus in that. I thought you were doing really well in that one. Or, hey, you gave yourself an A. I would have probably thought a B. So let's talk about the difference in our two lists. So, but you may have to realign your own life to meet your priorities don't allow yourself to grow weary because you're too busy. Your role as a parent is too important. Busyness is a god of this culture. Just don't, don't, don't get sucked in. Don't allow yourself to grow weary because you're too busy. Your role as a parent is just too important. Um, maybe the next book you read needs to be a parenting book and find another couple or two and read it together. I've got a group of guys I meet with every other week on how to raise boys. We're just reading a book about raising boys. It's been super fruitful, really encouraging. Um, find good parents and ask them a ton of questions. Good parents, you know how you know they're good parents? You go check out their kids. And then you also see who's faithful with kids that are, that are hard. So it's both. You know, it's easy to say, well, I, I really like her. I bet her parents did everything perfect. I'm going to go find the parent. Well, sometimes kids aren't perfect in that regard, and they're struggling. But then you can also, those are harder parents to find. And you go, wow, that parent's prayerful. That parent's really trying. You know what I mean? But find those parents. <clears throat> Tell your spouse you're grateful. You get to do this together. God designed parenting to be a two-person job done in the context of the marriage covenant. Good parenting comes from good marriages. I mean, and we overlook that a lot. Good parenting, I think, comes from good marriages. So tell your spouse that you're thankful every day for the Lord that you get to do this together. That part of the joy of being married to that person is you get to raise kids together. And if it wasn't for them, the parenting would be absolutely, unbelievably overwhelming, right? And you know when you have tension in your marriage, parenting all of a sudden becomes extremely hard. It becomes over, the, overwhelming is the word that, that we've talked about. It's like, I, wow, I, I mean, I'm, we're, we're too much locked in covenant with one another. We can't do this apart. And just, just you know, um, invest in that as well. So 